Probably a few of you were maybe around in the 1930s. Anybody born 1930-ish? Okay, a few of you. All right, all right. Those were some pretty rough times in American history. Uh, The Great Depression, there was also a lot of gangsters, a lot of bank robberies, and the most notorious bank robber of the 1930s was John Dillinger. Does that name ring a bell? John Dillinger. John Dillinger was accredited with over two dozen bank robberies. He lived in a town called Mooresville, Indiana, and the problem was 54 miles from Mooresville, Indiana, is another town called Brookville. And in Brookville, Indiana, was a man named Ralph Alsman. And Ralph Alsman and John Dillinger looked like identical twins. Same hair, same shape, same frame. They had moles under one eye, uh, uh, scars on, on one wrist. And Ralph Alsman was a great guy, but he was arrested 17 times. <laughs> and interrogated deeply and finally was able to convince them that he was not John Dillinger. The best part of the story for me, though, is Ralph Alsman was shot 11 times. Now, he lived. He miraculously lived through 11 gunshot wounds. Well-intentioned, law-abiding citizens, good law enforcement officers thought he was John Dillinger, and the poor brother was shot 11 times times. That's funny. Go ahead and laugh. (laughs) He lived. That's funny. So in 19, um, let's see, it was 1934, July 22nd, John Dillinger was actually gunned down by federal law enforcement officers. And they come to Ralph Alsman and they ask him, Hollywood came knocking. And Hollywood said, would you like to play John Dillinger in the movies? And I cannot use the words that he used to describe... (laughs) to say no. I, I, I'm in church and I love being your pastor and I want to be employed this next week. But the answer was an emphatic um, no, I do not want to play John Dillinger. Identity. Identity is a big deal. We read and we hear and we're worried about identity theft and we see commercials and there's all kinds of equipment today about identity theft. But it's important that we understand who we are. And that we really truly understand our identity. And this morning, the passage of Scripture that we're going to talk about is the Apostle Paul. Paul was this guy who used to persecute Christians. And now he became an incredible believer. He's now telling these people who are outside of the faith that they can come into the faith. He's having conversations that there would be a people group that would never think they could ever qualify, but they could identify with the great God and could be a part of the great covenant. Up to this point, only a nation, the Jewish nation, was qualified to have this covenant relationship with God. I'm often asked, do you think the the Jewish people are God's, are they his pet? I don't think they were his pet, but I do think they were his pattern. And they were his pattern as how he was trying to help people to relate to to himself and and this great, great big God. And so today Paul is going to unveil this this mystery. Do you like mysteries? How many of you like mystery movies? Okay. How many of you read mystery books? How many of you don't like mysteries? A few of you. Okay. 
So in, in the scriptures, we, we see all this incredible evidence for God. And again, if you're not a believer, and you and I were at you know, a restaurant you know, today for lunch, and you would say to me, well, I guess I just have to accept all this by faith, just blind faith. There probably isn't any empirical evidence that Jesus was a real man. There probably weren't eyewitnesses. There probably is not archaeological or geographical you know, facts that back this up. I would say to you, no, there's, there's, there's tons of evidence. There's more evidence for Jesus than there is George Washington. We have 25,000 manuscripts of the scriptures that we've dug up and archaeological digs have, have discovered. There, if we were having that discussion, I would talk about how much evidence there is for the historical bodily resurrection of Jesus. It's absolutely stunning, and it's a great research that, that you should go on to. But I want to talk about the mystery for just a minute. I want to talk about the mystery. Because I think the older I get, I, I understand the archaeological discoveries. I understand the internal and external evidence for Jesus I love all that. The history, the, the amount of empirical evidence that there is for our faith is just absolutely stunning. God made sure that we didn't just have to say, oops, maybe it's blind faith. I really can't, can't see this. No, God gave us stacks and stacks and stacks, piles and piles and piles of empirical evidence for all this. But what I really like is the mystery. And when you lose the mystery, I think you stop growing. And the mystery of God is God almost plays this game of hide-and-seek with us. You ever play hide-and-seek at home or the neighborhoods? Uh, In our house in Memphis, we would play hide-and-seek with the kids about once a month on Friday nights. And it was fun. It was cheap. It was free. It was great, you know. And and we'd hide, and, and I remember Danita even having Emily, and Emily was maybe two years old, and they would hide. They hid one time in one of the bathtubs, and we couldn't find them for hours. Another time, Danita uh, hid. Danita did this. She's really awful at this. I mean, she's, she's, she's not the sweet little southern girl that you all see every Sunday morning. She, she's got a, you know. So anyway, she's hiding on top of the chairs in the dining room. She's lying on like three chairs in the dining room table, the table's pressed up to her nose. We didn't find her for hours. It was amazing. Every time now I can't find Danita, I go look in the dining room. So I, I go, go, go check on the, on the chairs. This, this game of hide and seek, but, but eventually you don't want to hide too good because you really do want to be found, right? I mean, if you hide so well, then everybody just quits and gives up. And God, I think, plays a little bit of hide and seek with you. So let me, let me just say this. I graduated from Bible college. I had all the answers. Just ask me. I had all the answers. I graduated from graduate school three years later with a master's degree. I realized I didn't even know all the questions. Okay? See the difference? And there's this mystery of God. And when you hear somebody on television or, you know, some great uncle's a pastor somewhere, and they have all the answers, they got it all figured out, they got it all charted out, they got God in a shoebox, God's this big and no more, there's no mystery. God is so much bigger than your theology. God's bigger than the Baptists. 
He's bigger than the Catholics. He's bigger than the Methodists and Presbyterians, the Episcopalians, and Lutherans. God is so much bigger than all these different components of doctrine and theology. And, and, and you stop having the mystery of God. You stop having this hide-and-seek with God. You will stop growing. And your relationship with your Heavenly Father will go this far, this, and it will, it will go no further. God has so much more in store for you. And so if you think that at this point in your life you've learned it all, this is as much as you're going to get, this is as much as you're going to grasp, you, you, you are sadly mistaken. You're, you're missing the mystery of God. Guys, I'm all for the doctrine, the theology, the scriptures. I've, I've given my life to this. I've spent 35 years learning the Bible and the scriptures. I, I'm so excited, though, about this hide-and-seek with God. Kurt, you think you got me figured out? Let's grow a little bit. Let me stretch you a little bit. Let me expand your horizon. Yeah, you've got some foundation, but let's, let's grow a, a little bit. And the most exciting part of the Christian faith is this, this mystery. God, are you leading me here? Are you asking me to learn this? Are you actually challenging me to grow here? God, is this an expansion of my life? And it's, it's the mystery of God that is absolutely exciting. And so Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 13 tells us that if we search for him, he can be found. But it's a game of hide and seek. But he's not hiding so well that you can never find him. He's not hiding so high that you can never reach that. God is always expanding your territory just a little bit all the time. And my best human comparison is that fun game of hide and seek. So here's what he says in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 13. He says, you will seek me and you will find me. And so there's, there's this... There's this pattern that you have to initiate this, but he is actually initiating it before you even start the journey. Actually, he's starting the whole game, and you think you just came up with the idea. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Let me just ask this question. Are you still hungry for God? Are you still passionate to learn about who he is? is there, do you want more? Is there more in your heart that you would like to see and to experience? Because if, if there isn't, then you stay at the same level that you're at, and you can stay at that same level for 40 or 50 years or 100 years or however long you live. But if you seek him, you're going to discover his nature, and you're going to discover his heart, and you're going to discover his purposes. And I think... It's the mystery of God, which is so exciting and so fulfilling and so revealing. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I will be found by you. I'm not going to hide so well that you can't find me. I, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back. So here's our book today, Ephesians. Our guide today is Paul. And Paul's about to reveal a mystery. And the mystery is that these people called the Gentiles, which is about 99% of the world, can now have this incredible relationship with God. Unless you're Jewish, all the rest of us in this room are Gentiles. There's Jews and Gentiles. And for the first time in history, 
He's going to reveal a mystery that it was always God's plan. It was always God's will for all of these people to have this incredible relationship with him. Surely you heard about the administration of God's grace. In other words, what did God do for me? God gave me this ministry to the Gentiles. I'm going to reveal this mystery. This mystery has been 5,000 years in the making. And I, Paul, am going to reveal this to a little church in modern-day Turkey, and they're going to see that they, for the first time, can have this incredible covenant relationship. The mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've briefly written already about. And he just reminds them that they were dead in their transgressions and sins, and so he's not telling them that they get there without Christ. Nobody gets anywhere in this covenant relationship with God without Christ. It's always about Christ. So he just reminds them that they were dead and they were outside of the covenant. Remember that at that time when they were dead, you were separate from Christ, you excluded from citizenship in Israel, and you were foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. This is not the most encouraging verse you've ever read. In other words, they're stuck. Without Christ, they're on the outside. They're foreigners. They're outside of this incredible covenant. He says, but now. Whenever you see but now, that's where the music changes. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, about 5,000 years, they were outside the covenant. They were very far away. They couldn't get to God. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, we read this and we go, yeah, that's why we're here. We're mostly Gentiles. And yet, this was stunning, that Jew or Gentile could come to God through Jesus Christ was a stunning revelation and the first time in all of history. For he himself is our peace, talking about Christ, who's made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles. He's made the two groups one, and he's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. My, oh my, could our country use a little bit of this today. Oh, my goodness. In my lifetime, I've never seen people so angry. In my lifetime, I've never seen people so agitated. You pick a camp, and they, they're on the other side of the camp, you can almost have fists in Starbucks. You can almost come to a fight. Never in my life have I seen people be so, so angry. Don't get involved in those scraps. Don't get involved in those fights. Stay up here. The answer is Christ. The answer is always Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to bring us together, to bring us one. Don't argue about Republicans and Democrats. Don't argue about climate change or no climate change. Don't get into those arguments. Stay up here with Christ. Stay up here with the gospel. And the gospel has the power to unite us. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. He talks about the mystery which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So for thousands of years, we've wanted to understand this. This mystery that is through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. We read that and we go, duh. They read that and they go, are you sure? Are you sure we can come in? For all these years, we have been excluded from the covenant relationship. You mean I, as a Gentile, can have a relationship with God? Yes, you can, through his son, Jesus Christ. And become shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Now, his intent was that now through the church. And that's why the church always plays such a prominent role. 
And that's why when the church is not being the church, there's not the unity. There's not the evangelism. There's not the salvation. There's not the baptisms. There's not the growth. The church was always designed to be the hope of the world. It just has to work right. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. The Gentiles could not ever have freedom. And the Gentiles could never approach God with confidence. The Gentiles were always, so to speak, outside the camp. So for just a minute, let's go back to Exodus and remember that even the Jewish people weren't allowed to approach God. In Exodus 19, then Moses went up to God, and the Lord God called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. They have just come through the Red Sea. They are now out there in the wilderness, and they're about to get more instructions from God on how to live. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. So God is calling them to be a nation, to be his people. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. They go, okay, we've got that. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. I like that third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. But put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. You just couldn't go approach God. You just couldn't go out. You just couldn't go hang out with God. In Exodus 19, you go approach God, you're in real trouble. And yet the New Testament tells us to approach God. The New Testament says you've got that relationship with God. That verse we just read a minute ago in the book of Ephesians says to approach God with freedom and with confidence. Radically different than Exodus chapter 19. They will be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. And so he says to this, back to Ephesians now. Remember at that time, you were separate from Christ? You were excluded from citizenship in Israel? You were foreigners? You were without hope? And you were without God in the world? On the morning of the third day, there was thick and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. And everyone in the camp trembled. This is Exodus 19 again. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All you could do in this culture was stand at the foot of the mountain. You would never get near God. You would never approach God. They're standing at the foot of this great Mount Sinai, and that's as close to God as they could get. And yet, you and I live in a day when God has put his spirit inside of you, and he tells you and I to approach him with freedom and with confidence. And not only does he put his spirit inside of you and allow you to have access to him all the time he encourages you to do this and live in that covenant relationship the smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain shook violently and just trembled (laughs) and so now we go back to Ephesians and everything's changed the mystery's being unveiled and the mystery is everybody Jew or Gentile 
can have this incredible relationship with God. Everyone now can approach God. Now, the point I'm trying to make this morning is this. When you go into God's throne room and you talk to God and you're in your truck or you're at home by yourself or you're walking the beach, you will experience that mystery of God. And you will hear from your Heavenly Father. And you will feel God's rhythms inside the cadence inside of your heart. And you will get instruction. And you will get direction. And you will get clarity. And you will get guidance. And God will actually show you what to do, where to go, how to act, how to respond. And so Paul is like overwhelmed with what we have today. And I I don't know if this always makes sense to us. Because we have so much today. We have a Bible. We have a church. We get to worship in freedom. We, we get to have now the Spirit of God has come to live inside of us. It, it's like, I don't know how to explain that you've got the best on this earth that it will ever get. You and I will not get anything better than what we have today until Jesus comes again. We have so much, and to whom much has been given, much is it's expected, isn't it? And so Paul says, I am so grateful. Every family in heaven on earth derives its name. That means every Jew, every Gentile. This is talking about tribes. This is talking about nations. All the nations of the earth now can be one in Jesus Christ. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now, why does he want to do this? Why does he want to make you so strong? Because he has a plan for you. You see, most of the time, we kind of go through the week thinking that life's about us. And what God is saying to you is that life is really not about you. Now, there's only three different approaches of kingdoms. There's three different kingdoms on this earth. There's There's only three. The first kingdom on this earth is the kingdom of humanism. And we see it every night on CNN. We see it every night on Fox News. I don't care if you're conservative or liberal. It's humanism. Humanism drives. Man is at the center. Man is at the center, and everything we do is for humankind and for mankind. That's one approach. That's one dominant philosophy of today. It's called humanism. Another dominant philosophy is is really about religion. And there's a God. There's a force. There's a deity. There's something out there, but there's no power. It's like you go to church or you have a religion or you have a faith, but it's impersonal. It's not like you have a mission. It's just just religion. And you know religious people. And religious people come to church or religious people go to the the synagogue or whatever, but, but it's not personal. The third kingdom is it's the kingdom of Christ where he is actually the king. And the king is the kingdom, is the king of his kingdom. And in this kingdom is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has a mission for you every day. And I love that hide and seek. Show me. I'm seeking you. Show me. I'm I'm looking, reveal to me. What am I to do? What am I to stop doing? Where are the places I'm to stop going? Who are the people I'm to stop stop hanging out with? Who are the people and places I am to go? This third kingdom is so, so different. And the identity of this third kingdom is so unique and so powerful and so strong. And you will choose 
which of these three kingdoms you will serve. Are you still with me? I don't know, you're not breathing out there. You're not, I can't, I can't tell if you're there or not. Several men were at a local golf club. They were in the locker room, and a cell phone begins to ring on the bench, and a man engages the hands-free function. He begins to talk, and everyone in the locker room began to listen. The man said, hello. The woman on the other end said, hi, honey, it's me. Are you at the club? He said, yes. I'm at the shopping center now and found this beautiful leather coat. It's $2,000. Is it okay if I buy it? Sure, go ahead if you like it that much, he said. Well, I also stopped by the Mercedes dealership, and they have new models. I found one I really like. How much? The woman said, $200,000. The man said, okay, but for that price, I want all the options. The woman said, great, one more thing. I was just talking to Janie and found out the house I wanted last year is back on the market. They're asking $2.2 million for it. The man said, well, go ahead and offer $2 million. They'll probably take it. But if not, we can go the extra $200,000 if that's what you really like. The woman said, okay, I love you so much. See you later. The man said, bye, love you too. The man hangs up the phone. All the other men are staring at him with mouths wide open. He turns and he asks, does anyone know who this phone belongs to? I love that joke. I, I think it's funny. I can see that happening. Identity is a big deal. She was talking to the wrong husband, right? It's a big deal. Your, your identity in Christ relates so much to your authority. Ralph Alsman was misidentified as John Dillinger, shot 11 times, arrested 17 mistaken identity. Do you know who you are in Jesus Christ? Doesn't matter what you've said, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. Do you know what happens when Jesus Christ's blood cleanses you from all unrighteousness? He's renaming you. When Rachel shared that a minute ago, oh my gosh, did your heart not go out to her? Rachel and Ernest, I think they have three kids. They have three beautiful children. I mean, just imagine Rachel's identity. But her identity is in Christ. And she stands up here and she boldly proclaims that Jesus Christ is Lord of her life and Lord of her family. Who are you? What's your identity? Who are you? Not what you've done, not what other people have said about you, not what the accuser accuses you of. Who are you? And so he says this. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all God's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is this incredible love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly, more than you could ever ask or imagine, according to his power, 
according to his power that is now at work in you. Now remember what Ephesians 2.22 says? We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so there's that verse again. What's God able to do? Immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine according to that incredible power that is at work within us. You see, your, your identity is crucial. That you understand, I am a chosen son of God. I am God's boy. I am God's man. I have been cleansed. I've been free. I've been forgiven. I've been given life eternal. I've taken my shame, my guilt has all been cleansed, all been washed away. Your identity is absolutely essential. You know why? Because he's given you authority. He's given you authority. He's given you authority to go back to your homes. He's given you authority to go into your schools. He's given you authority to go into your neighborhoods. He's given you authority at work, at play. He's given you authority to be light, to be salt, to be to be a representative of who he is as part of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You see, the mystery is you have identity in Jesus Christ, and the mystery bleeds over to this amazing authority. And your authority, it's probably a whole lot larger than you can grasp. And he wants it to get bigger and stronger and healthier because he put his spirit inside of you. And that spirit inside of you now is designed to do something. I'm always amazed at new believers, brand brand new to the faith, who really don't know anything yet, really don't understand a whole lot yet, but they're on fire to to go change their world because they know their world is broken and they know their family is broken and they know their culture is broken and they know the people they work with are are broken. And you don't ever want to lose that. You You want to keep that hunger and keep that humility and change the people who are around you. That's what the power of God can do through your life. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. But it's the most exciting mystery you'll ever be a part of. Your identity and your authority is huge. Why don't you stand with me and let me pray for you. Let me encourage you. We've got one more beach baptism coming up the first weekend in October. If you've never been baptized into Christ, that's your next step be baptized. Go out to the guest service desk, sign up, and we'll baptize you that first weekend in October. How are connect groups going? Several thousand of you are in connect groups. They're good. Two thumbs up. All right. Um, Good. You haven't quit your group yet? Did you fire your group leader yet? Okay. That's good. Um, It's so important, our evangelism and our discipleship. Proud of you. I'm really really proud of you. And I, I think about this too. I get to be your pastor. I don't have to be. I I get to be your pastor. And and we get to be a church. And we get to do this 
life together. And it's such an honor, such a privilege. It is. It's such a privilege that we get to be the church. That's our identity, and that's our authority. Let's have the prayer partners come down front. And if you would like to give your life to Jesus, if you'd like to have special prayer this morning, man, we'd love to pray for you and pray over you, okay? We don't want anybody leaving today who's hurting, who hasn't been prayed up or prayed over. You are the king, and we will live in your kingdom forever. In Jesus' name we pray.